Hello, and welcome to the Society of Critical Care Medicine's iCritical Care podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Margaret Parker. Today, we will be speaking with Neethi Pinto, MD, Assistant Professor of Pediatrics at the University of Chicago. Dr. Pinto will be speaking during the 45th Critical Care Congress in a session titled Thrive, Supporting Survivors After Critical Illness. Thrive is a new initiative from the Society of Critical Care Medicine that aims to connect patient and family ICU survivors and raise awareness of post-intensive care syndrome. Dr. Pinto will be presenting on pediatrics experiences for transitions after critical illness. Thank you for being here with us today. It's my pleasure. Before we get into the specifics of your talk at Congress, would you give us some background on the goals and purpose of the Thrive Initiative and why it's so important? Certainly. The Society of Critical Care Medicine has been invested in understanding the outcomes of survivors. In fact, through SCCM's Long-Term Outcomes Task Force, we've learned that survivors face significant lasting consequences. We also have recognized that survivors include not only the patients who survive the critical illness themselves, but their families. This is particularly true in pediatrics. SCCM established Thrive in order to serve as the organizational home for ICU survivors and to also be the first major organization to help survivors of critical illness work together with clinicians to advance their own recovery and to advocate and advance care for all critically ill patients. Thrive sets out to do this by focusing on three specific domains, the first domain of which is support. So Thrive will help develop in-person support groups and networks across the country and internationally, which will be supported in part by grant funding and through the creation of a robust virtual community within the SCCM website. The virtual community aims to house informational content and resources on common conditions acquired after critical illness and to also provide opportunities for survivors to connect electronically for both peer support and expert content. The next domain that Thrive is focused on is education and partnership. And through this arena, Thrive will develop materials to partner with ambulatory healthcare providers and the subspecialists that our survivors interface with after they leave the ICU in order to improve communication about the consequences of critical care illness and to raise awareness about lasting sequelae, such as the post-intensive care syndrome, PICS, and other consequences of critical illness. And then the final domain of Thrive is focused on innovation and research. In this effort, Thrive will fund research on the nature of recovery and survivorship after critical illness through a variety of grants and funding opportunities. Can you give us a general overview of how the pediatric experience in the ICU has evolved with regards to survivors? Sure. This is a very exciting time in pediatric critical care. The field has really grown very quickly and accomplished so much in a relatively short period. By way of history, the first PICUs were established in the mid-1950s in Europe, and soon thereafter, in the mid to late 1960s, there were pediatric ICUs in the United States. Fellowship training followed quickly thereafter with fellowship programs formally beginning in the 1970s and the 1980s, and research groups that were established in the 1990s and 2000s, really uncovered that what we saw in the field was a significant reduction in mortality from the 1980s to the 2000s, from a rate of approximately 11% in 1980s to 2 to 6% in the 2000s. How is the pediatric survivorship experience different from most adult ICU experiences? I think the most notable difference is the 
reduction in mortality that I spoke of. The pediatric mortality rates are much lower at 2 to 6% when compared to adult mortality rates, which range from 10 to 29%. And that reduction in pediatric mortality has been multifactorial in nature and really attributable to the establishment and centralization of care with the development of the pediatric ICUs and the training programs in the 1960s, 70s, and 80s. The innovations in medical science and technology that have also occurred during this time frame were pivotal. There was improvement in pediatric-sized equipment and monitoring devices and the development of artificial organs and transplantation. And all of these factors, in addition to other technology, really contributed to that reduction in mortality. I think the other difference between adult and pediatric experiences is that because of this rapid change in pediatrics, follow-up studies in pediatrics can become rather obsolete quickly in a field where technology and medical care are constantly improving. What we knew about pediatric survivors in the 1990s may no longer reflect what we would learn from today's survivors because those that survive today are very different and, and often much more medically complex than those that survived several decades ago. Less is known about overall PICU survivors as a group. This is not a well-studied cohort. Often we have focused our work on specific age-based cohorts, such as former preterm infants, or disease-based cohorts, such as survivors of pediatric traumatic brain injury or sepsis. PICS is something that's been described fairly recently in adult survivors, and that is the post-intensive care syndrome that we have alluded to, which constitutes a range of symptoms falling under three broad categories, ICU-acquired weakness, cognitive dysfunction, and mental health problems. This entity hasn't been formally described in pediatrics. Rather, studies in pediatrics have really focused on describing functional outcomes, neurocognitive outcomes, and health-related quality of life. We have learned in pediatrics that there are some common themes with regard to short and long-term outcomes. For example, children may experience improvements in neurocognitive outcomes but do not return to baseline. We also have learned that function is worse for those who come in with worse baseline function and those who receive longer duration of resuscitative efforts, and those who experience longer lengths of stay. Health-related quality of life appears to be favorable in over 80% of pediatric survivors, but is also mediated by baseline function and length of stay and duration of resuscitative efforts. The mortality for adults after they've experienced critical illness appears to be greater for a decade following the critical illness. This is less clear in pediatrics. But what we have learned is it seems that we have traded mortality for morbidity in pediatrics with rates of newly acquired morbidity ranging from 5 to 18% of pediatric survivors. What have we learned about the morbidities in pediatrics that have pretty much replaced the previous mortality? I think that's a great question. What we've learned is that children survive with morbidities that they may have newly acquired during their ICU illness. We also know that children survive with chronic disease or dependence on technology such as tracheostomy tubes and mechanical ventilators or gastrostomy tubes. They may be frequently readmitted to the ICU, and children who are readmitted are actually at risk of increased mortality. We've also learned that children who experience extended stays in the ICU are at increased of mortality. But focusing more on the morbidity, what we have found is that while overall mortality is lower than adult mortality, pediatric short-term and long-term morbidity are high. 
in our study in Chicago, the Chicago Survivor Outcome Study, we found that mortality increased from 3.9% at discharge to about 10% at three years after discharge. We also noted that the rate of mortality and new morbidity increased from 9% at discharge to 21% at three years among a group of 77 pediatric survivors. We found that while patients were generally healthy prior to admission, they experienced peak dysfunction during their admission and recovered functionality to some degree, but never returned to baseline by discharge. We found that there was a failure to return to baseline function even at long-term follow-up, both at six months after ICU discharge and at three years after ICU discharge, suggesting that there was a persistence of newly acquired morbidities or perhaps a susceptibility to ongoing illness and morbidity in a medically vulnerable population. What do you think are the challenges in taking the lessons from pediatrics and trying to apply them to adult survivors or perhaps the other way around? I think the challenges in applying pediatric lessons to adult survivors include the fact that pediatric patients span such a wide range of ages and critical windows of development have not necessarily elapsed. So that plasticity of pediatric physiology allows for considerable recovery of function over time. This may not be as true in the adult experience. At the same time, we're challenged as pediatric intensivists to convey the severity of illness and the potential loss of functional status. So navigating this balance between recovery and the potential lasting sequelae is difficult because we have limited ability to predict what side of the balance any patient may fall upon. So I think that's one of the challenges in applying the lessons learned from pediatrics to adults. I think that also makes it a bigger challenge in terms of giving parents a prognosis or expectation for long-term outcomes. Certainly. I think that is what most of our parents are hoping that we would be able to prognosticate. And studies have demonstrated that we are really limited in our ability to do that effectively. I think involving the family in the care model with family-centered care in the pediatric ICU has been helpful in perhaps mitigating some of that angst and unknown because the parents see on a day-to-day basis what the decisions and what the changes are and how that makes a difference in a moment-to-moment basis for children. What are one or two takeaway lessons that you hope people will learn from your presentation? While many pediatric survivors are resilient, pediatric survivors are still medically vulnerable as a whole. We learned in our study that children were generally healthy prior to admission and experienced their peak dysfunction at admission and recovered to some degree, but never to their baseline. And I would like people to take away that these children are medically vulnerable. They are susceptible to newly acquired morbidities, and they are also susceptible to lasting sequelae of their original illness. I think our field has a responsibility to focus its attention not only on saving lives, but improving outcomes for those who survive by identifying factors that we can modify that influence long-term functional outcome and by establishing long-term multidisciplinary follow-up clinics on a widespread level to address the needs of these medically vulnerable children, survivors of critical illness.
Can you tell us a little bit about the Thrive Initiative as it applies to pediatrics and what it includes in our approach to the pediatric survivor of critical illness? Sure. The Thrive Initiative is seeking to be all-encompassing with this focus on survivors, not only being the patients, whether they're pediatric or adult patients, but really thinking about the survivor as the entire family or the, the loved ones that care for a patient. So I think recognizing that critical illness has a burden for the patient and those caregivers is a fundamental difference in where we've focused our efforts. And Thrive is seeking to develop resources for patients and their families, not only after they leave the ICU, but while they're in the ICU. And I think that's really some of the relevance in pediatrics because so often we are interfacing with the parents and the siblings of the child that we are taking care of. So Thrive seeks to develop some resources, including ICU diaries and resource information on what it means to be hospitalized in the ICU and helping parents and families navigate that time in the ICU, and then continuing that relationship by helping them navigate the new frontiers once they leave the ICU by improving communication with their primary care physicians and the subspecialists that their child may now need. I think clearly we have a long way to go, but these are some important initiatives that we're taking to look beyond the stay in the ICU as our field matures. I agree. I think this is a new domain for us to encounter and embrace in order to ensure that our patients are not only surviving their time with us, but surviving and thriving in the future. Thank you very much for talking with us today. Thank you, Margaret. It was my pleasure. We have been speaking today with Dr. Neethi Pinto from the University of Chicago about pediatrics experiences for transitions after critical illness. This concludes another edition of the iCritical Care podcast. Please check out our website for more information. For the iCritical Care podcast, I'm Dr. Margaret Parker. Join or renew your membership with SCCM, the only multi-professional society dedicated exclusively to the advancement of critical care. Speak with a customer service representative or visit www.sccm.org membership for more information. Margaret Parker, M.D., M.C.C.M., serves as an associate editor for the iCritical Care Podcasts. Dr. Parker is professor of pediatrics at Stony Brook University in New York and is the director of the Pediatric Intensive Care Unit at Stony Brook Children's Hospital. A former president of the Society of Critical Care Medicine, Dr. Parker is involved in quality improvement and standardization of care in the pediatric ICU, as well as resident education. Her clinical interests include severe sepsis and septic shock in children. The iCritical Care podcast is copyrighted material and all rights are reserved. Statements of fact and opinion expressed in this podcast are those of authors and participants and do not imply an opinion on the part of the Society of Critical Care Medicine or its officers or members. To contact the editorial staff of the iCritical Care podcast with questions, comments, or ideas, please email iCriticalCare at sccm.org or info at sccm.org.